Open your Bibles, if you will, to Joshua chapter 5, and, uh, which is where we were last week. And we're going to start out reading at verse 7. So Joshua circumcised, everybody say circumcised, their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places, for they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, today, shout today, I have rolled away the shame, shout shame, of your slavery in Egypt. So that place has been called Gilgal, which refers to being rolled away to this day. Shout amen. 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 Please be seated. Please be seated. Second week of a five-week series, which we've called Legacy. Building a life that outlives you. And of course, uh, it's fitting for us to ask the question, what is it about who we are that causes us to want to leave a mark on life. You remember last week I told you that we're struggling inside of the big ideal for this series. Is we're struggling with the question, what does it mean for me to leave a mark on life? And uh, I'm, I'm mindful of, uh, of the, the slogan that Ford, the car company, had several years ago. It used to say, Ford built to last. Everybody say built to last. And that's really the insight into why I think all of us kind of long to want to leave a mark on life because the way God shaped us and designed us. John 3.16 puts it this way. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but would have e eternal life. You and I, we were made for eternity. You and I, we were made to be a part of God's eternal story. You and I, we were built to last. So that instinct that says that we want to to leave our mark is really just another reminder that we were made for eternity. Last week I told you that while we think about the question, what What does it mean for me to leave my mark on the world? And certainly high schoolers and middle schoolers are even beginning to, in their own way, think about this. uh, That it's helpful to remember that God has already marked us. He's picked us out. What makes us uniquely special is not some title we acquire, but to be known, but for us to know that God has already picked us to be a part of his story. So it's in that context that we, we, uh, we find ourselves here in this passage in Joshua. Last week, we, were, we remember that Joshua met this big angel, and the angel essentially asked Joshua, reminded him that he needed to be, that Joshua needed to be a part of God's larger story. Joshua says, of course, what do you want me to do? The angel responds, is pull off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy. And I said to you that that was a great rem- reminder that for Joshua uh, and for all of us, the moment we realize that we're a part of God's story, the place we occupy in life becomes holy. And, and, and history is about to be made from that point. 
However, a few verses before, a few verses before, there's this, this unusual story of circumcision and shame. I, it's curious where this story come from. And especially given the context that this story is found in. Let me just give you the context. In chapter 3 and chapter 4 of Joshua, the children of Israel along with Joshua, they've just had a, a big wow moment. Everybody say wow. wow. The, just like God opened the Red Sea for Moses and the nation of Israel a generation earlier, God opens the Jordan River. Joshua and the children of Israel, they march through on dry line, reminding all of us that God is still a God who makes a way out of no way. Everybody say, wow. I mean, this is a big wow moment. I mean, they've walked through, they've walked through on dry land. It's split open for them. The second thing is that in chapter 5, the first two verses says that all of Israel's enemies... After they heard the fact that they had a God, that Israel had a God that's like opening up the Jordan River for them, all got paralyzed by fear. Like, oh my goodness, we can't defeat them. This is their enemies. And then the third thing is that when they come through the Jordan, not only, not only are all their enemies frightened, but they are literally camping now in the land of promise, the place that God had promised to bring them for generations. Here they are in the middle of their destiny. They have to go possess it, but they're right there. And right there in the middle of the land of promise with this big wow moment surrounding them and their enemies afraid of them. In other words, here they are at the top of their game and then here comes this story about circumcision. And shame. Everybody say shame. shame. What's that about? And as I explored it, it became clear to me that what, what God was saying to them is that in order for you to go and possess the destiny that I have picked you out to have, in order for you to go and make the mark that I have marked you to, to make. We have to deal with your hidden shame. Everybody say shame. shame. Fact is, we all have shame. It's universal. No matter how powerful, how prestigious, how pretty, how cute, how many boyfriends you have. Your latest pair of tennis shoes you got. It doesn't matter. We all deal with shame at one point or another in our lives, especially when we're kids. It usually starts for us when we're kids. I remember my early bouts with shame. And, and I think the point here is that if you don't deal with hidden shame, even though you're in the middle of your destiny, shame has the capacity to steal from you your destiny, to undermine the mark that God has called you to make in life. Well, I remember my early years dealing with shame. Uh, 
I was a kid, and when I would come into church like this, my preteen years, I wanted to be invisible. I didn't want anybody to see me. When I came in with my grand-aunt, uh, I would screw down in the pews. I didn't want anybody to see me. When I got old enough that I could come in a little later, I'd come in towards the end, sit on the back pew. Didn't want anybody to see me. I wanted to be invisible. Everybody shout, why? Shame. So I had three sources of shame in my early years. First source of shame was that I was physically scarred. I, I, uh, uh, and my scars disfigured me physically, and they were tremendously pronounced when I was a, a, little, a little kid. And so I, I felt like if I didn't want anybody to see me because they would be reminded why they didn't want to play with me. They would be reminded of why I wasn't lovable. They would be reminded of why I should be rejected. Wouldn't it be invisible? Secondly, I was adopted. One of the great gifts in life is the ability to be adopted, but in my, in my pre-teens years, I didn't actually get it. And I concluded in my early pre-teen years, I, I felt like I was, I was an artificial placement in a family. And my grand uncle and aunt, they loved me. But I just, I, I felt like because I wasn't their birth child, I didn't quite belong. And that was a place of shame for me. And then thirdly, I was a special need kid. I, I was growing up, uh, going to school, and I was in special education, working through special needs. Now listen, it took me into my adult years to figure out that everybody got special needs. <laughs> I, uh, we all got special needs. Just some of our special needs are more visible than others. But we all got special needs. Tell the person next to you, I got special needs. Point at yourself and say, I got some special I'm special needs. <laughs> but for me as a child, it was a source of shame. Shame that I, 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 didn't, I didn't deserve to be loved. I didn't deserve to have connection to, be, to belong. Source of shame. And, 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 and the fact is we all have sources of shame that come in and out of our lives. And if, if we allow them to go unnoticed and undealt with, they tend to undermine our capacity to be all that God has called us to be, both in our home and in, the, in our family and in our community, in the church and in the world. They undermine us. That's part of what's going on with Israel. That's what God is saying with Israel. Listen, God says to, the, to, to Moses, to Joshua, he says, okay, I want you to just circumcise. First, all the males circumcised. And then in verse 9, after the circumcision is over, verse 9, that's what he says. He says, today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt. Now here's what's fascinating. Only Joshua and Caleb was born and raised in slavery. All these other folk who were being circumcised, they were born after Israel had left Egypt. 
They were born during the 40-year sojourn in the wilderness. So they weren't born in slavery. So what is this notion about roll away the shame of your slavery in Egypt? Well, here's the deal. They weren't born in slavery, but they were the children of slaves. By the way, every when we talk about slavery in America, we often talk about the child of slavery that African Americans were part of. But listen, every culture in every era of history has had slavery. All types of all kinds of slavery. Slavery is still going on in a horrendous way. And slavery as an identity point is, 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 is a great metaphor for the things that make us feel. Here's how Brene Brown talks about it. Brene is a, is a big uh, 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 psych, social psychiatrist, so psychologist. And, uh, and she writes about this. And here's what she says. She says, she describes what shame is. She describes it rather than defines it. She says, shame is, I am never blank enough. This is what shame is. Everybody's got a blank here. Tell, tell somebody you haven't talked to yet, say, I got a blank. Point and say, I got a blank. I got a blank. I got a blank. And you can just fill in the blank. We all fill in these blanks differently, right? Somebody's here thinking, I am, I'm never pretty enough. Somebody's here thinking, I'm not, I'm never successful enough, or I'm never wealthy enough, or I'm never thin enough. Or somebody else is thinking, I'm never certain enough. I just, I did a little marriage out in the back. And, and, and the couple that got married, they finally took the step and realized, you know, at the end of the day, marriage is a step of faith. You never get certain, certain enough. I'm never certain enough. I'm never safe or secure enough. You just fill it in. I'm never popular enough. I'm never powerful enough. You fill it in. And what, 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 what Israel was dealing with, what God was saying, look, look, guys, if I take you in and we're getting ready, we're going to take on the Jericho wall and, we, and, and, we're, going to, and we're going to possess the land. I, I, I got I to deliver you from this kind of thinking because you're thinking, you know, I'm the product of slavery. That means I'm never enough. Just eliminate the play. That's what it becomes. I'm never enough. The mentality, the product of slavery. I'm never enough. That's what that's what I was feeling, right? Right, as a little kid, as a preteen kid, because I was scarred, because I was special needs, because I was adopted, I felt like I was never enough. Not enough to be loved. To be affirmed, to be accepted. Never enough. And, and it ran the risk. It almost caused me to abort my very destiny at a young age. Some of us are, are, are dealing with the same challenges, right? Let me just give you some examples of how this lives out in real life. For example, we, uh, we've got... AP students, students with, in AP classes, these advanced classes. 
But because you have the shame of a broken family, you've concluded you don't belong there, so you're underperforming. Never enough. Or the corporate leader who has tons of people reporting up to you. But because you have the shame of not having the same degree or graduated from the same Ivy League colleges that they have graduated from, you spend your life working yourself to death to answer a question that they're not even asking. Do I belong here? Never enough. Are you finally falling in love? You've, you've met and found not your Mrs. Perfect, but at least your Mrs. Right. She's right for you. Are <laughs> you Mr. Right? And, 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 and this is the one you've been praying for, right? She's it. But because you have a past and your past tells you that you're bad, that you're not good, and your shame of your past keeps speaking to you, you end up sabotaging that relationship. Are you in recovery? And you've been in recovery for 12 months, 16 months, 22 months. You're now walking in success. But then the shame of all of your, of your years of, of failure begin to speak to you and tell you, you don't belong in success. You're not a successful person. And before you know it, you start drinking again or using again or cutting yourself. You see, undealt with shame has a way of undermining your capacity to be all that God has called you. So God said to, to the nation of Israel, I've got to deal with your undealt with shame before I release you to move forward and possess the destiny that I've called you to deal with. Then they go through this circumcision. Then he says, I've rolled it away. All right. Everybody say circumcision. All right, here's the interesting thing about circumcision. Notice this. I talked a little bit about this last week. Slavery. How do you spell slavery? S. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I talked a little bit about this last week. These folks were focused on the fact their chief identity was that they were the product, they're the children of slaves, the product of slavery. But I told you last week that when you take your story and subordinate it, make it a, a, a submitted to God's larger story, I'm going to say it a little differently this time, what, what feels like your story inside of God's larger story is actually a chapter. Can I say that again? What feels like a story that revolves around whatever it is that is the source of your shame. For me, it was my, it was my adoption and my scars. 
uh, and it was my it was where I was in life at that point, right? And where I was in life at that point felt to me like it was my story, but in reality, it was just a chapter in the story. Just a chapter. All right. Now here's 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 what when when Joshua proceeded to circumcise because God said circumcise. Here's what he was doing. He wanted to remind Israel that back in Genesis chapter 17, God came to Abraham. And in chapter 17, verse uh, 10 and 11, God came to Abraham. And here's what God said to Abraham. He said, he said look, essentially I've chosen you and your generation. And this is my covenant with you and your Descendants. Everybody say descendants. descendants. They're thinking about I'm a descendant of slavery. No, baby, that's a chapter. You're a descendant of Abraham. And God has declared a covenant with you and all of his descendants. That means with you. And the covenant you are to keep. And every male among you shall be circumcised. And when you're circumcised, you make a mark. Come on now. And that mark leaves a scar. And that scar is a reminder that I am your God and you are my people. That your slavery was a chapter. It was not your story. Your story is a part of God's story. And while you think you are not enough, God says whenever you look at that scar, it becomes a sign from me to you. This great message, here's what God is saying. You are enough for me. Wait a moment. Am I enough for my girlfriend? That's the wrong question. Am I enough for my husband? That's the wrong question. Am I enough for the employer? That's the wrong question. Am I enough for my little class that I'm inside of? That's the wrong question. The God of creation said, you are enough for me. The one who runs the universe says, you are enough for me. And I've marked you. I'm not worried about your disruption. I'm not worried about your, your addiction. I'm not worried about your broken family. I'm not worried about your issues around whatever you want to name and attach shame to. Come on now, because before you showed up, I had already designated you. All right, let's go back to Ephesians 1. So I was talking about last week. Let's go back. Let's look at it together. Ephesians 1, 4. You say it with me. Say it with me. Before God made the earth. Watch the sequence here. He loved me. Say he loved me. And chose me. Come on, say it. All right, stop. Before he made the earth, this is the point he's making with Abraham, with the descendants of Abraham. Before he made the earth, God loved you. He loved you before. My gosh, before there was an earth, he loved you. Wait, wait, wait. Before I was born, he loved me. 
He loved me before I got scarred. He loved me before I ended up in special education. He loved me before I was adopted. As a matter of fact, he knew I would be adopted, knew I would be scarred, knew I would be in special education. And despite all of that, or maybe because of all of that, come on now, he still loved me and he still chose me. He loved me. He chose me. I don't have to earn it. I couldn't earn it. He already loved me. I have to prove it. He chose me before I was. Come on now. Listen, when I was a, uh, uh, got to be in my teenage years, preteens, early teens, the same sources of shame for me physical scars, all that, primarily scarring, was the reason why when people would pick teams, I'd be the last picked. Most time, by the time they got to me, they would have picked everybody for the team. And so I felt left out. And for years, I went around feeling left out. But when I got into 10th grade, I had a fight over a little girl that they weren't even interested in me. Lost the fight. Went in the boys' bathroom and said to God, I need you to turn my life around. I want three things. I want to go to uh, be on the stage to honor students when I graduate, go to college, and I want my grandaunt and uncle to know they haven't wasted their life. That, that loss of that fight knocked me into my senses. Come on now. But before I got between the bathroom and the end of the year, God proved to me that he loved me and chose me. Come on now. And that I didn't need them to pick me. He had picked me. And by the time I graduated, come on now, I was walking in a new place knowing that God had chosen me. Are y'all listening to me? And so it wasn't that they left me out. Come on now. God had already called me in. And he had a path for me, a purpose for me, a plan for me. So who cares what they thought? The God of the universe had a mark on my life. And everything I asked for, he fulfilled. All right, now what happens? All right, watch this. With circumcision, you heard me say it a minute ago. With circumcision, there's a cutting. And the cutting leaves a scar. The scar is what reminds us that what I thought was a story is really a chapter. Have you ever read a book or watched a movie when you were sure that you understood how the plot was going in? But then you got to the last chapter and there was a twist in the last scene and it completely threw you off. And now you had to go back and read all the other chapters. Come on now. Because the last chapter reinterpreted. Y'all ain't listening. Everything that you thought you already knew. Come on now. That's what it's like to allow your life to become a part of God's larger story. Because the scars. Watch it. Let me just talk about me. The scar that brought me shame. 
When I discovered it was a chapter in God's story, I had to reinterpret it. And the same scars that made me want to be invisible in the church are the same scars that empower me to preach the gospel in front of the church right now. Reinterpret it. Scars of shame are now gifts of grace. What I thought was a chapter, or what I thought was my story, was just a chapter. And what Jesus has done in my life has redefined my scars and my adoption. Notice how Ephesians continue. Watch Ephesians. I just, last week I told you about verse 4 where it says, for he loved us and chose us. In Christ, to be holy means he set us aside for himself, for his purposes before we were born, and to be blameless uh, in his sight, without flaws in his sight. And then the very next verse says that uh, he decided in advance, hear that word, to adopt us, what I thought was an artificial word, come on now, to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through his son Jesus Christ and it gave him great pleasure wow wow you see and it goes on to say about how Jesus poured out his life and created forgiveness for our sins so even our mess ups can become the context for miracles Somebody ought to say, wow. wow. Oh, my gosh. God says to you, through Jesus, you, right now, doesn't mean that you don't need to work and develop, but I'm telling you, you don't need to work for my love. You don't need to convince me to choose you. You don't need to persuade me to put my mark on you. No, you need to grow and develop and study and learn. But, but it's not so that I'll love you more. It's not so that you can become special. Baby, you're already special. You're the only you God's got. Man, when I figured that out, I started shouting. Now, my school initially, uh, that would have been good news for them. Because while I wanted to be invisible in the church, I was creating habit in the school. Because before I knew that my scars could become signs of grace, and when I thought my chapter was really my story, I, made, I was a mess. I created all kinds of havoc in the school. Nobody wanted me in their class. One day, the whole school had a meeting. Who's going to take Herman? But they didn't know God had already picked me. <laughs> Y'all ain't listening. And they just had to suffer through a little while until my eyes came open. Y'all ain't listening. And now, look at me now. God is saying, look, that's what I have for you. Are y'all listening? Okay, just one. All right, everybody say circumcision. All right, I'm almost finished. So here's my point. Here's my point. So in order to claim what God has, here's the, here's the action step. 
when shame comes, you have to choose grace over shame. Now, here's my point. I just told you about the victory that I got. But how many of you know I still got to deal with shame now? Because that's the nature of humanity, that you never fully outrun shame. I like the way Brene Brown says. Brene Brown says, nobody is shame resistant. But we can become shame resilient. Now, that's what you're writing down right there. Resilient. Well, how does that happen? I choose grace over shame. Well, tell me about this. All right. All right. Everybody say circumcised. All right. Now, uh, when I got ready to draw this, I said circumcised, and I got ready to draw a few moments. The other gathering, people thought I was going to draw the circumcision. I'm just telling you, I'm not doing that. <laughs> this is me. All right. All right, no circumcision in this picture. All right. But what, what one sociologist says that there is a, um, what he calls a shame attendant that sits on every one of our shoulders. And the shame attendant interprets and speaks to us. Some of you may not call it a shame attendant. You may be used to this term, your tapes. The tapes that's playing in your mind. Tapes. Some, some, some of these tapes are recorded when we we're kids. Our, our parents, they don't mean harm, but they try to motivate us. But often, sometimes they try to do it with shame. Shame is not the best way to motivate your kids. Because at the end of the day, it will cause them to hide or it will cause them to rebel. Come on now. Uh, or, or blame. But... But, 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 but they say stuff like, you're going to grow up and be just like your daddy. Or you're going to end up on the streets. Uh, you know, and they mean to say that to motivate you. Or you're never going to be anybody. Come on. And so you have these, these tapes that are recorded. And, and, and you wake up at night or you go to work as a CEO or as a doctor, as a police. But you still hear these tapes. And they start interpreting. Oh, what this guy, the shame attendant starts interpreting I, I, I have my shame attendant so the first thing you got to do is recognize the voice of the shame attendant and, 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 and from time to time when I get ready to prepare a message I hear the voice of my shame attendant the voice says after I get through with everything I got and I look at it and I hear the voice say that's the best you got <laughs> you, you think folk gonna come from all over everywhere just to hear that come on I mean, really? Come on, I, 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 somebody else, I, I hear another voice that say, that say, that say, that say, that say, look, don't you remember you were the special education kid? What are you doing standing up there on the stage going to try to talk to you? You know who's sitting in that audience? I mean, I hear all those kind of, my shame attendant. Now, but now I recognize the voice, you see, and when you recognize the voice, everybody say, recognize the voice, <laughs> then you have to talk back to them. <laughs> because the shame attendant is giving you one narrative. But God's given you another narrative. Come on now. And you need to tell them of the God of narrative in your life. So when he said, come on, that's the best you got. And I'll say back to the say, yes, that's the best I got. Come on now. But I'm going to give my little bit to God. He can take a little bit and do much. Y'all ain't listening. <laughs> 
come on now. Say, what? You didn't you used to be in special education? Yes. And you think you're smart enough? No. But I think that if I open myself up to the God of the universe, he can take broken flesh and work miracles. I'm going to show up and give him my best. Y'all ain't listening. And so I talk with my, to my same attendant. And then he really get upset me, really make me mad. I start quoting scripture. Great is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on, I'm more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Y'all ain't listening. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can ask or think according to his power at work within me. Hallelujah. I put that hallelujah there. That's my praise God. All right, everybody say cut. cut. You see, in the, in, the, in, the, in the circumcision, there's a cutting. By the way, if you, I got some young folk here. You may not know what circumcision is. Go look it up on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> or ask your mama or your daddy, all right? <laughs> but in the meantime, there's a cutting, right? You got to know exactly where you're going to cut, and then you got to cut. Identifying that attendant and speaking back is your way of saying, cut. Cut it out. I'm not a part of your narrative. I'm a part of God's narrative. Everybody shout, cut! And then, and then there comes a point where you have to own it, tell it, and accept it. All right. Here's where I explain this, and I'm finished. Renee Brown tells us some story. Now, she teaches this stuff. And yet, it's rooted right in the biblical text. And, she, and, and she's teaching my change. She's dealing with it herself every day. And she says she tells a story. She says 80% of the request to speak, she turns down. Because she first looks at her family calendar, her speaking calendar, her personal priorities. And then on the basis of that, she determines. So 80% of the requests, she says no. One request she turned down, the fellow wrote her an email. And the email said, I knew you were fake. And I knew that you weren't what you said you are. And that you were just full of a bunch of stuff. And she said, when she read it, her shame attendant started to talk. By the way, Sometimes the shame attendant is located in your consciousness, but sometimes the shame attendant shows up in your family. Sometimes the voice of the shame attendant shows up among your friends, telling you who you can't be, telling you your limitations, telling you what you can't dream, telling you that you're locked into the wrong narrative. So you just need to, wherever it shows up, you need to be able to identify it. So, she said she got seduced by it for a moment, and she wanted to rattle off. And so to process, she wrote an email that just threw it, laid out her feelings. She wrote, wrote it to the guy, but she was going to send it to her husband because she was just writing it to process. So she wrote it. She just, you know, she just laid into him. Who do you think you are trying to judge me? You know, you lower than dirt. You know, just, just laid into him. And then she got ready to push forward to her husband sin but she accidentally hit reply sin 
And when that little airplane sounds, then she screamed because she had emailed him back. And now she started to talk to herself. She said, you just, you know, you're just an idiot. You're just, you're just, you're just inadequate. You're just stupid. And now when you find yourself calling yourself names, that's shame. That's shame because guilt says I made a mistake. Shame says I am a mistake. I am stupid. I am an idiot. I am a failure. And you start calling yourself, that's shame. That's shame. And you need to be able to say that. Cut it out. That's what she was. But then she regained herself. She realized, you know what I need to do? Just own it and tell it. So she called her husband. And she told her husband what happened. Now you don't just tell anybody about your shame moment. Tell somebody who's earned the right to listen. Tell somebody who's proven to you that they love you when the sun's shining on you and when it's raining on you. They love you no matter what, right? And so she, she, she told her husband. And he said, man, I feel you basically. And, and, and he had never had that experience, that circumstance. But he had experienced the feeling. That's what empathy is. All of us have said something that we wish we could take back. He empathized. Empathy is the bomb. For the shame-filled soul. And then she called her best friend. The best friend did the same thing. And in the process of the empathy, having owned it and told it. You see, shame has power on you as long as it's kept secret. And, and what, 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 what Joshua was doing was he was exposing. Come on now. They had to go through a process of exposure to circumcision. That there's an exposure process there. Uh, 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 but when we expose it, when we own it and tell it, shame loses its power. So, so she, she, she owned it and told it. Then she could see clearly. And then she wrote the guy another email. This time, she owned her stuff. She apologized. She explained what was happening. She clearly talked about what she was trying to communicate and sent it off. He never replied, but she was set free. For that moment, she got the victory over shame. That's the battle you and I will fight again and again and again. And in that moment, she accepted the it is God's grace. Because her husband and her best friend both said to her, this is just a, this is not even the chapter. This is a paragraph in the chapter in a larger story. Don't lose sight that you are part if you will submit to God of his larger story. Can you say amen? amen? Come on, give God a hand, praise. Let the praise team come. I simply say to you this. The next steps, there are several next steps you can take. Say yes to Christ. Join a small group, be baptized. But under the response to the message, here's what I want to challenge you. Because we all fight with shame. I want to challenge you that in your next battle with shame, 
you will choose, and if you will, write this. I will, I choose grace. I will choose grace over my shame. I will choose God's grace. Everybody say God's grace over my shame. I'll identify the voice. I'll own it. I'll tell it. And then I'll take his grace. A larger story. Shout amen. amen.